Thank you, Zach, for, for that song. And doesn't that just make you think, um, if you're familiar with your Old Testament and, and the Psalms, there's a Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, describes that. You know, how the, the, the creation itself declares God's glory. And isn't that beautiful? It's not just, it doesn't imply God's glory, it doesn't hint at God's glory. Um, it's, it's a bold declaration uh, of, of who God is. And uh, so even as we gather today, we're very much joining in with creation and praising and praising him. I, I've been thinking about something lately. I think I think, I think about it more, actually, as I get, as I get older. But, uh, and, and maybe you've experienced this. You know, you'll experience it maybe in the elevator, or maybe you've experienced it waiting in a doctor's office, or maybe you've experienced it at the shopping mall. But you're there, and all of a sudden you'll hear something. Maybe something like, everybody wants to rule the world. You know, and you're like, huh? Or maybe it's, just a small town girl living in a lonely world. Or maybe it's, can't touch this. <laughs> Whatever it is, these songs come on at different weird times. And, and especially if you're from that area. Now, some of you are going, what are those songs? I know, okay, you weren't around. They're, they're okay. Others of you have been around longer than I have. And you're going, What's, what are you talking about? But for those who are kind of in my era, the 80s, you know, was, was our time, right? Um, you're thinking, really, in the elevator? I'm sorry, but when I was a kid, if you heard a song in the elevator, that's where songs go to die, okay? That's pretty much, that is not an okay thing, you know? And these are songs that are important, you know, to me. And, and, and yet, the reason this happens, and, you know, there's stations now dedicated to this. You can hear these songs everywhere, you know? Uh, why? Because the music industry has found something, and it's really kind of known as the nostalgia craze, and so there's, there's specialized stations because they, they realize we can make more money if we harness what they're calling, quote, the songs of your life, unquote. And by the way, I'm not here to tell you that's right and it's evil and wrong and don't put on those stations. There's nothing wrong with nostalgia. You know, it's not, it's not a bad thing in and of itself. But I think nostalgia can become something that's unhealthy, especially if our whole life kind of just ends up being absorbed by nostalgia. And that can be especially true in our walk with God as believers. If you're here today and you're walking with Jesus, um, there's something about nostalgia that can be dangerous because then you're kind of living your life driving, looking in the rearview mirror, you might think, or, or, or you're caught up in tradition. And again, there's nothing wrong with tradition per se, uh, but, you know, my daughter was just in uh, Fiddler on the Roof at Berean Christian High School. So I'm sorry, now I'm here, hearing the song. Tradition, right? But, so there's nothing wrong with tradition. But, but when tradition becomes, you know, traditionalism, we got a problem. And, and so it's very easy that, that, to live that way, to kind of go through things by rote, and to actually lose a sense that we need to have as followers of the living God, which is a sense of expectancy, and it's not just because we're supposed to have expectancy for expectancy's sake. No, it's because God really is alive. He is active. Jesus really is risen. He's actually invaded our lives. He's doing things. He's at work. We want to walk in tune with him. We want to be aware of that. And, and, and we can easily forget about living expectantly before God. Uh, Zechariah, the priest, he's, he's about to learn this lesson as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. And I invite you to go ahead and open 
to Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 25 today. And you can find it on page 43 on the Bibles in the chair rack in front of you. But, but Zacharias, and by the way, some translate it Zacharias, Zachariah. Don't worry about it. Whatever translation you're looking at, same name, just a different form. Um, but uh, so, so he's going to learn this lesson the hard way. And maybe we can learn the lesson, not the hard way, by learning from him and, and learning what God's telling us in this account. So uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. Uh, in honor of God's word, would you please stand and follow along as I read. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abja, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteousness so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we we come to you and and would ask that uh, in this time you would work in our hearts in such a way that we become um, those that, that love you, that walk with you, that live expectantly before you, and uh, that, that see um, not only your desires for us in terms of the way we live, but also see all that we have to rejoice in because of Jesus, our King. And so we, we pray that you would do this among us, that we would leave here differently uh, than, we, than we were when we came together initially, and that you would be mightily at work amongst us. We ask this in, in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So what we're going to do uh, during this time together, we'll, we're going to just go through the narrative and let the narrative talk and speak because God made it a narrative on purpose. You know, it's a, it's a story. It's an account. And then afterwards, we'll circle back and we'll, we'll grab some principles to apply uh, to our lives. But uh, in, in verse 5, we find here, you know, there's this statement, in the days of Herod, the king of Judah... And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've already been told last week that Luke is going to be giving us a, a historical account. He's done the research. Dr. Luke, has, he dove into different resources that we'd have available. He talked to people. He interviewed them. He's been compiling this. And, and so now as he expresses it, he's giving us a historical framework here. Herod was king of Judah. That, that's, what, that's what was going on at the time. 
Uh, Herod was a, was a terrifying ruler and also a very skilled ruler. Um, he was an amazing builder. Uh, he, he had a lot of different construction projects, and, and, and people feared him. And so here he is. He's the guy ruling over this, this region, uh, of course, under the Roman government. And yet at the same time, there's also a priest named, named Zacharias. You know, he's one of many. He's one of the many priests. That's, by the way, that's why they drew lots to perform this uh, service in the temple of, of, of burning incense. Everybody couldn't do it at once. There was a lot of them. So he'd probably get to do this periodically during his, his time of serving as a priest. And he has a wife named Elizabeth. And so you just got to love this, how the time frame that this takes place, this description of Herod, and then we go immediately zooming from this great, you know, prominent person to these two others who, who seem kind of inconsequential at first. And when we learn something from that, uh, a lot of times the, the main thing that the world thinks is the main thing isn't the main thing at all. Kind of reminds me, uh, there was a, a prof I had in, in college, a music uh, theory professor. His name is George Hoisenstam. And uh, I know that's a mouthful, right? But he uh, was a fascinating guy because, first of all, he wasn't really uh, a composer for most of his professional life. Uh, when I had, when he became my, my professor, um, he had been actually, many years prior to that, a mailman. And, but he loved music. And so he kind of had this delivery, right? He, the University of Southern California, USC, uh, was, was on his route. He would meet these different people who uh, were, were uh, professors and, and doctors of music there. And he got to know them, and he was interested, and his wife was supportive. And so he just started taking theory lessons from them. Never got a degree. And uh, there was a quick need uh, at, at my school, and he ends up teaching theory. Uh, my friend had the pro- professor from the year prior, and I'm, I'm sorry, my friend got ripped off, because I had Hoysenstam, okay? And this guy was engaging. He, he kind of made music theory, just all the math. I mean, how do you make math sing? This guy could do it. And, and he had a very interesting way of dealing with us in the class, too, because we'd be doing, uh, you call it four-part, you know, chorale analysis. So the idea is you've got, you know, treble clef, bass clef, four notes, and you're going, what chord is that? And you have to identify it. But rather than just kind of having a volunteer come up, he'd go through the whole class. So you'd be sitting there like, oh, no, I'm coming up soon. Wait, what's my chord, you know? Because you just go, name it, name it, just go through the whole class. And then he had this uncanny way of looking at one person and, you know, because he's interacting with us. You can't just kind of fall asleep in that class. You had to be, like, ready. And so he had this uncanny way of looking at, you know, one person and talking with them. And in that moment, you're thinking, oh, that person's getting the question. But while he's staring there, he's like, so, Mr. Jeffers, what do you think the answer would be? You know, ah! And there's that moment of, no. And so that's kind of the... What we kind of see here with, with Luke and what he's doing here, he's like, here's Herod. Here's the king. And yet, what's the real focus? It's over here. Someone else. And it's not what you would think would be prominent. No, instead, God's about to do something amazing, something surprising. He's, he's, he's bringing about this beautiful uh, era of redemption as Jesus comes on the scene, and he's going to do it in the most unexpected of ways. And so w- that's a principle we need to hold on to, I think, would be that oftentimes, you know, the prestigious influencers in culture, oftentimes they think it's all about them and they are oblivious to what God's actually doing in his momentous, era-transforming work of salvation. They don't get it. And you know what? We get caught up in that too, don't we? 
Maybe you feel that way, like, yeah, I'm obscure, I'm not, you know, I'm just me. Oh, yeah? You know what God loves to do? He loves to use ordinary people in ordinary places to bring about supernatural purposes. And so he's using you, he's using me, he's using us together to to bring uh, the, the news of salvation here to our community. And... It's a, it's, a, it's a stunning thing to think about, and we need to be aware of that. So that's how Luke frames the, uh, our, our kind of account for today. He just starts off with this, here's Herod, here's the king, but you know what? Here's Zacharias and Elizabeth. And, and you notice they, they obey God. They, they walk with him. Verse 6 tells us that they really are people of character, and yet there is a big problem they have. They don't have kids. And of course, in, in the first century, um, that's a really big deal culturally that has everything to do. It's not, it's not really so much about the individual's fulfillment. That's not really uh, the mindset here. Um, really what it's about is community. And, and to them, they want to be able to build a legacy. They want to take what they have and, and what they do in their family, in their walk with Yahweh, and also with just the way of, of their culture. And they want to pass it on to the next generation. So having children... So, so significant to them. And so there's a heartache in their lives. And, and, uh, and we, can, we can see that there's, in a sense even, it seems like it's been a long time. The, the way the verse kind of unfolds, you're going, oh man, they've been dealing with this for a while. And that, that does seem to be the case in, in our lives too, doesn't it? How, how often will, you know, there's, there's this part of our life that, you know, we're, we're struggling with. It's sort of like, you know, I think we all have these dreams sometimes of, yeah, that's right, once I get here, everything's going to be just great. You ever notice that? Yeah, once this happens, everything's going to be... And you get there, guess what? It's not! (laughs) Because we live in a broken world. That's not how life is right now. That's why we're we're in the midst of uh, what we call the already but not yet, right? We're, We're awaiting Jesus' return. We're living now with the foretaste of, of that. The Spirit indwells us. We've been given uh, in Christ new life that starts now. And yet it's hard. By the way, this, the situation of childlessness uh, with a couple that's faithfully following Yahweh, uh, that should, should sound familiar to us, right? If, if, if we're familiar with, with the Old Testament at all, we see, you know, Sarah would be the, the first kind of demonstration of that biblical pattern. And so, you know, there's no way a 90-year-old Sarah can have a son. Can't happen. And the heartache of that for them. Or, or then you've got Rebecca, Isaac's wife, who was barren for the first 20 years of their marriage. Or, or Rachel, who was also childless until uh, finally Joseph was born. Uh, you could include possibly Ruth in that way with her first marriage. And then she, she'd then marry Boaz. And then her son Obed is proof, you know, that God is merciful and and, and gracious and provides to bring about his purposes and to, to, to do things that are unexpected. Uh, Hannah would be another example of that in the Old Testament. And she had a, a massive trial with that. We were even told about the kind of emotional difficulty that she had with her, her barrenness. And then what does God do? He, he gives her Samuel. So this is a pattern that we see and we find that God really does launch many times his beautiful work of redemption through circumstances that, that see that we're not able. You know, we're, human inability, human hopelessness, that's exactly where God goes, yep, and I'm right here. 
And now watch what I'm going to do. And so then we find in, in, uh, as, as our account continues here that, um, you know, Zacharias is chosen to burn incense. And, I, and he'd be looking forward to this. This is a big, it's like, wow, okay, I got, I'm doing incense this week. Great, you know. And so he, he gets to go in there and, and he, he's performing the custom of what his priestly office calls him to do. And uh, verse 11, an angel of the Lord appears to him. Now, first thing angels typically say, we've talked about this before if you've been with us for a while. First thing angels say usually is something like this. Do not be afraid. Why? Because seeing them is terrifying. When they appear, they're not, you know, the cutesy little cherubs that you see on Valentine's cards and all that stuff. No, they're God's messengers. And, and when they're seen, they cause people to fear. So that's the first thing that the angel says. And then uh, the angel goes on to describe uh, just some, some amazing things that God's doing. Um, and so, uh, you know, we see in verse 12 what Zacharias' response. He saw the angel and fear gripped him. Um, the idea is fear just fell on him. Just boom. What? And then the angel says, don't be afraid. Then he goes on. God's heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. Now, notice, what is he standing next to? The altar of incense. What is incense symbolizing there in the temple? The prayers of God's people. So physically, the angel's standing right there. The incense is going up. He's saying, God has heard your prayers. You and your wife, Elizabeth, verse 13, are going to have a son. Oh, and you're going to name him John. So the angel's telling him what you're going to name him. Normally, that's the father's prerogative. Saying, I'm giving you the name. You're going you're gonna to name him John. And we'll get into what that's about more in the weeks ahead, but... And then notice this verse 14. You're going to have joy. You're going to have gladness. Many are going to rejoice at his birth. And this one, he's going to go on as a forerunner in the spirit and power of Elijah. And then he quotes, actually, in, in verse 17, Malachi 4, 6, describing this, this amazing thing that's going to happen. Even as Elijah called people to repentance, that's what his ministry was as a prophet. This one is going to, verse 16 says, the sons of Israel are going to turn back toward God. And then in verse 17, this one is going to turn the hearts of fathers back to children. You're going, what, what's he talking about there? Well, repentance, that's the idea of repentance. It's turning. Uh, to repent means to turn 180. And so what's happening is there's, there's multiple layers of repentance happening among God's people. Uh, people are turning back to God, back to Yahweh. Uh, families are turning back towards one another. There's reconciliation happening amongst God's people. Because of repentance. And this one's going to prepare and, and make ready God's people. For who? For the, for the one who's coming. The promised Messiah. So your child, not only has God given you a son, not only is he answering your prayer, but he is the forerunner to the Messiah himself. So if you're there, if you're Zacharias, how are you going to respond? What are you going to say? I mean, it's enough that the angel just appeared. To me, I'm just, you know, that's enough. And the angel says all this. You're going, what? And so certainly, you know, in, in the, the typical kind of Hollywood ending, it would be, and Zacharias heard him, 
and said, praise be to God. Thank you for answering prayer. But uh, that's not what happens. Let's continue on in verse 18. Zechariah says to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you to bring about this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Yeah, so Zacharias does not believe what, what the angel said. And I know for us, we're kind of sitting here going, really? But think about this. He's been praying for a long time. He's been desiring this, God's deliverance out of this particular trial for a long time. And it's possible that over time he's, you know, just kind of in that place of going, I, I, I've, I've wanted this, I've desired this, I cannot possibly deal with, you know, being disappointed in this. So how do I know? And it's interesting too, because he asked that question, how will I know? Uh, in a few weeks, or in, it's next week, Mary is going to be uh, approached with the same, well, a similar declaration from Gabriel. And she's going to ask the question, how? But it's a different question. So, and actually, there's two different Greek words being used here. So here, in, in this particular question that's being asked, um, it's really the idea of, uh, literally, the term there is, according to what? Or, or, or he might be asking for proof. He's asking for, you know, on what basis is really the idea. It's a different question. So unlike, unlike Abraham in the Old Testament where he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, uh, Zacharias is going, give me a sign. Show me. How do I know? On what basis? According to what? And, there, and there's irony in this moment as well because the name Zechariah literally means God has remembered. So in this moment, Zacharias is not remembering what God has done in the past. He's not remembering that. And he doesn't trust, really, the word from the angel. And, and so the angel responds, and it's interesting because there is a kind of a, a play on, on words happening here. Notice in verse 18, I am an old man. Look at verse 19. What does the angel say? I am Gabriel. All right, you're an old man. Well, I'm Gabriel. And uh, I've got something to, you want a sign, I'm going to give you one. You're not going to be able to speak <laughs> until this comes to pass. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Gabriel does assure him that the divine message is going to happen. It's going to be fulfilled. Even with human doubt here, present. And so... Uh, these things are going to come to pass. 
Now, in verse 21, as the people are kind of waiting for Zacharias, they're going, you know, what's going on? It probably wasn't the kind of waiting where you're sort of like, yeah, I'm waiting by the bus stop, or I'm kind of... No, it's more like, is he okay? Because in the times of temple service, at different times in history, the priest would often have, um, especially they're going into the Holy of Holies, they'd actually have a rope tied around their leg in case uh, something happened to them, they dishonored God, they, they could lose their life in treating God perhaps in a way that was not according to how he had directed it, not in honoring him as holy. So, so this, this uh, moment here, it would be similar to someone in our time maybe, I don't know, you're going into some sort of uh, nuclear reactor and you're getting too close and being careless. Like this is not a trivial thing he's doing here. He's entering into serving God in the temple. And so they're going, what's, what's happening and then when he comes out, of course, he can't say anything. And that's interesting, too. You doubted, Zacharias, so you're not going to be able to speak forth what the message that I, I gave you. Um, it's not going to come from you. And it's not going to come really from, from the temple, which also the, the forerunner of Messiah is going to render the temple obsolete anyway. So you can kind of see a picture of that coming as well in this part of the account. But, but thankfully, you know, Zacharias comes out and they've been waiting for him to come out and he can't speak and, um, and yet there's a contrast because he fulfills his priestly service, he goes home and after those days, of course, everything that God said through the angel came to pass. Elizabeth did become pregnant and notice her response. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me. What's that? The way of grace. The way of of, of, of blessing and mercy because of his loving kindness. I mean, I'm sure we'll find later that, you know, Zacharias is able to write things down for people. So certainly by this time, he's communicated to her what happened and she's like, you did what? Are you kidding me? But even her husband's foolishness did not prevent the blessing from coming. Because God's purpose is Sure. God is the one who is bringing about salvation. And human uh, error, unbelief, weakness cannot stop God's work. He will bring it to pass. And so she uh, praises him, gives thanks. And, uh, and then we, we see this, this part of the account kind of coming to a close. So some things we touched on already, but, but what, what are some things that we can take away uh, in terms of our own lives from this account? And, and one would certainly be this. God loves using small, the small, obscure, and ordinary to bring about his magnificent purposes. So we, we touched on that, but, but again, we need, to, we need to keep that in mind. You know, Herod the Great ruled. Certainly, you know, even the... the religious leaders at that time, they thought Messiah was going to come as this triumphant king to, to, to dominate uh, and even overthrow Rome. And, and they're not wrong. The Messiah is going to do that. It's just prior to, to the prophecies of Daniel and, and other places where we would see that, prior to that, you know, Isaiah 53 comes first. The suffering servant comes first. The one who comes to receive the, um, the penalty due to us 
That comes first. And Jesus is going to be born in that way as well. He's going to be born of, in all, of all places. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Again, obscure, out of the way. So that is God's style. And so I, I want to, again, just ask the question for all of us. For the, when you get that sense of just being, yeah, I'm, I'm small, I'm weak, I'm not able, I am not powerful, I am not all these things, you know what, in that moment, give him thanks. Because when we recognize our inability, that's actually when we become useful to God. Matter of fact, our seeing ourselves as truly weak, that's a prerequisite for being used by God. And so let's, let's praise him for that and keep that in mind. Um, another principle for us to hold on to would be this. God hears and answers prayer. Really. He does. Um, if you look at verses 10 and following, you can kind of see that whole thing that, that uh, the angel is describing. And, uh, and, of course, Zacharias is, is, is troubled. But then in, the, in verse 18, in that moment, you're kind of going, he, he's like, no, nah, I'm not seeing it. And so think about this. You know, Zacharias is engaging in religious activity. He's engaging in priestly service. He's going through the motions. And yet, through all that, he does not actually believe that God is really going to do anything. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, you're praying. Yeah, you're, you're spending time, you know, fellowshipping with people. You're growing. You're engaged in serving. You're, you're, you're doing all that stuff. But deep down is they're sort of like, God's not really going to do anything. You know, we're called to live lives of expectancy. Because our God is the God who is working and moving. His word really is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Why? Because this is actually the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit composed this for the purpose of transforming his people and calling those who don't know him to repentance. Are we expectant in the way we serve? Are we expectant in the way we pray? I don't know, maybe you've got a neighbor you're praying for and talking with, and, but maybe in the back of your mind, like, okay, yeah, Lord, I want you to work. It's never going to happen, by the way. It's never going to happen. But that can be the attitude sometimes. But instead, it, you know, it, maybe, maybe, maybe there's been a delay and instead of seeing the delay as, no, this is never going to come to pass, maybe it's no, Lord, in your timing. You know, when God answers prayer, there, it can be a yes. We talked about this before. It can be a yes. It could be a no. It could be wait. And that's hard. You know, as I consider our church family, there's several people going through trials right now that have been long-standing trials. There's... There's physical difficulties. Some, some have family members who are suffering or, or, or walking away from God. 
There are parents who are looking at their prodigal kids right now and going, what's happening? And these are challenging things. And yet expectant prayer is not to presume and say, well, God's going to do this exactly the way I want it to be done in my timing. As a matter of fact, a lot of times it's very surprising. But it's, it's really being aware of his character. Who is he? And what is he doing? And, and, and whether the prayer is answered in the way I want it to be answered, knowing that he does in fact answer and there is an expectancy to see what he's going to do. I remember uh, many, many years ago back in L.A., I was preaching. Uh, I forgot what I was even preaching in. But I, I just started out. That's right. I was really young. I decided to preach through Romans. <laughs> I was not ready for Romans. No. But, uh, but I just mentioned something like, hey, you know, and, and if you want to talk afterwards, you know, I'll be outside. And, and so... Uh, New person walks up. Hey, I'm like, yeah, hey, how's it going? It's like, well, you said come up and talk to you. I'm like, oh, right, great, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I think living expectantly is important for us. And, and, and again, in the trial through it, when the answer comes or prior to the answer coming, it's, Lord, I know you're at work through this. Help me to see how. Because sometimes I can't tell especially if it's painful. A last thing we can take away from this section would be this. The sureness of God's saving work is not dependent on the spiritual aptitude of his people. Isn't that good? Wow. I mean, it's a shocking statement. You know, look at verse 20. What, what does Gabriel say? Notice at the end. You did not believe my words. Huh. Next part of the phrase, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. What? Yeah. I, there's a whole category right now of people that are preaching something that's, basically everything is based upon your faith, your ability to believe. You know, the word faith movement uh, preaches this a lot. A lot of the televangelists and others. And it's sort of like this. If you believe hard enough, then... What happens is your belief somehow frees up the hands of the omnipotent God to actually do what he wants to do. But if you won't believe, then he can't do it. And it's like, excuse me? God does not need your belief or my belief to do what he's going to do. And there are times where our faith, it's all over the map, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's that that other... uh, song from ages past. It's a Christian song, but it talks about when my walk becomes a crawl, you know? That happens. We're weak. Um, Sometimes the crawl actually becomes me just laying face down on the ground. But but even then, by the grace of God, and we've said this before, you know, by the grace of God, at least in that moment, because of his grace, I'm laying in the right direction, at least, right? I mean, that's God's grace. He's at work. And so when we believe and we trust, yeah, it's an important, vital element of our walk with God. But whether my faith is strong or whether my faith is weak, that's not the point. Because my faith has the same object, Jesus Christ, the risen one, the king. And uh, it's a surprising thing to see that. You didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled. At the same time, 
let's face it, when we, when we walk in unbelief, there are consequences that come with that. And so we, we find that too in, in, in Zacharias' life. And yet, that promise still comes to pass. You'll remember, you will have joy and gladness. You're going to have that. And he does. He does experience that. So God's purpose in this is to rebuke and correct, but it's also to encourage him. And that does happen in the same moments. There is rebuke and yet encouragement at the same time from the Lord. Um, And so... What are we called to do? We are called to respond to this good news. How? We receive it. And maybe you're here today and you haven't done that yet. I mean, if, you're, if you're someone who's with us and you're just kind of looking into the things of, of God, maybe you're asking questions about the Bible or who is Jesus, we're just, we're really glad you're here. And, and we want you to know that this, this call is, is, is for you. And it's to trust in, to place your trust in Christ. Uh, why? Why is that important? Well, because God made us. God is the one who created us. And so we're responsible to, to, to follow God and to love him and to honor him in everything that we say and we do and think. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you from my own experience in my life, I don't do that. And, and truthfully, we find in the Bible that all of us are sinners. And that's really what a sinner is. Sin is not obeying God, not following God, not loving God. And God could have left us there. He could have just left us there in that place under his judgment and wrath. But he didn't do that. Instead, he came himself. And and, and Jesus Christ, the God-man, came and he lived the life that you and I could never live. And he died the death that you and I deserve. And now he he says to, to all people, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Is that you? Today, if so, come to him. Trust in him. Believe. And know what it means to, to be made right with God, to have your sins cast away into the depths of the sea, never to come back. And, uh, and if that's you today, I would love to talk to you more. There are many people here who would love to talk to you more. We're here. And let us know. But we're to receive this good news. Now, if you're someone who's been walking with the Lord for a long time, guess what you need to do? Remember this good news. Continue to remember, to rejoice. Um, The angel Gabriel, he's got more to do. He's not done yet. There's another visit he needs to make. And uh, for that, we'll have to come back together next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for what you're doing amongst us. We thank you that you are the one who rescues. That that you are the one who has sent this Messiah, this promised one. And Lord, we ask that all of us would be engaged in repenting, in turning to you. Perhaps for the first time. Or even as those who, who, who have been walking with you, that we'd live lives of repentance before you. That you would be glorified. And that we would see uh, your work of salvation. That we would rejoice and live in that joy of you. Even as we anticipate your return. We praise you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.